Hello, everybody. I'm Radio Johnny, and welcome to another recovery radio broadcast recorded live at the Leitah Recovery Center. Recovery Radio is an outreach of the Leitah Recovery Center located at 531 South Main Street in Moscow. You can contact the LRC by phone at 208-883-1045 or by email at LeitahRecoveryCenter at gmail.com. You can find them on the web at LeitahRecoveryCenter.org and on Facebook. Recovery Radio's purpose is to share with our community how addiction and behavioral health disorders affect us all and to share the recovery resources available in our area along with the personal stories of people in and around recovery, highlighting their experience, insight, and hope for continuing recovery. And like I said earlier, I am Radio Johnny, and uh, here's a quick look at the January calendar for the Leitah Recovery Center, the harm reduction, safe syringe exchange, and supplies. That's available weekdays by appointment. Recovery coaching, peer support, online, phone available, call to schedule, weekdays, by appointment. Vandal recovery at the center, formerly known as Campus Christian Center on the UD of I campus, is weekdays from 8.30 to 4.30. Alcoholics Anonymous is every day, live at noon. Narcotics Anonymous meets every day at 7 p.m. Sexaholics Anonymous meets Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays from 8.30 p.m. to uh, at 8.30 p.m. and Saturday at 9 a.m. The AA Monday Men's Meeting is Monday at 5.30. Uh, the Reentry Support Group with Miranda is Mondays at 6.30. AA Women's Meeting live at St. Mark's Episcopal, and you can link to it through our calendar on Zoom, and that's Mondays at 7.30. Recovery Peer Volunteer Meeting is last Monday of the month at 6 p.m. The Grief Group meets the first Tuesday of the month at 5. The Board of Directors Meeting is the second Tuesday of every month at 3.45, and the public is welcome to attend. Vandal All Recovery Meeting at the Center on campus is Tuesdays at 6 p.m. The events committee meets Wednesdays at 2. New volunteer orientation is Wednesdays at 3. Overeaters Anonymous is Wednesdays at 5.30. Oscar Mike Vets Coffee and Conversation is Wednesdays at 6.30. Moving and game night is Thursdays from 5 to 8. Intern meeting is Fridays at 2. All recovery meeting live and on Zoom is Fridays from 5 to 5.45. Yoga with Katrin is Fridays at 5.30. And Al-Anon, live and on Zoom, Fridays at 8. And Alcoholics Anonymous Sunday Morning Group meets at the Campus Christian Center. And that's Sundays at 9.30. And uh, also to let everyone know, we have free Narcan. Narcan is the opioid reversal drug. um, And we... Love people to have uh, this if you're in a situation where you might be around people who might overdose. And you can check with our staff if you'd like to have a dose of this. So Zoom meetings are accessed by going to our calendar at latarrecoverycenter.org and clicking on the group name. You can follow the instructions from there, but if you have a problem, give us a call, 208-883-1045. And uh, one of our uh, helpful volunteers or staff will help you navigate that Zoom universe. 
All right, now that that's done, now we get to the fun stuff. Uh, today in the studio with me, I have Remington. Welcome, Remington. Thank you. Glad to have you here. And uh, Remington uh, is a man in recovery and has some experience uh, helping other people with recovery. Um, just to give you a little teaser there, and, and I'm going to start out, Remington. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your your personal history, where you came from, how you wind up to be in Moscow, Idaho right now, and uh, that sort of stuff, education, whatever you like. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I'm actually from here originally, Latah County, so I grew up on a little ranch outside of Julieta, Idaho. Um, a lot of different experiences with recovery in this area. I've kind of seen it from all the different angles, having you know dealt with it myself, um, lots of my family has dealt with it in one capacity or another. And, um, yeah, so I grew up here right now. I currently work as a substance use disorder counselor in Salinas, California, and am a graduate student at Indiana Wesleyan University for my master's in social work. So that's kind of what I'm up to, um, currently visiting on the holidays, coming back. And, um, yeah, it's just been really good to spend time with family and kind of seeing how things are developing you know every time I come back it's a little bit different so it's great listening to you read some of the um, some of the things that you guys are up to on the calendar it's been awesome just seeing what a what a hub that the recovery center is becoming is great because we could really use all the services here so. yeah because it's been a little while since you were in the neighborhood you've been in California for what three no how many years now so I've been out of Moscow for <laughs> Excuse me. So I've been I've been out of Moscow for about four years. Um, so I had finished my undergraduate degree at Boise State University. So I wasn't real far. And then now I'm in Central California. So basically for the past four years, I'd come up one to three times per year. And um, it's just it's a little bit different every time I come back. So that's been great. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the recovery center is really, uh, you know, engaged in basically their their whole purpose here is to vo- to provide space for people to come in and bring groups in. I mean, from you know everything from yoga to you know AA and A meetings, all that sort of thing. So yeah, it's it's been piling up year over year. That calendar used to be about half as big when we started doing this radio program five years ago. So. Yeah, it's cool. Well, why don't we dive into, uh, or why don't you dive into um, the story of your uh, recovery, what it was like, what happened to lead you to make a change, and what it's like now. Okay, yeah. So, um, well, one of the one of the most important pieces of the earlier part of my life that has allowed me the fortune of being where I'm at today is the fact that I grew up um, of a father who's been in recovery for, I think, I think this February it'll be 25 years, right? And then, you know, um, a large amount of the other members of my family were also, you know, dealing with substance use. And so growing up, I was always at the AA meetings and going to the different outpatient groups and things like that. And I was seeing kind of examples of you know, how people's choices put them where they were at currently. 
And so, you know, that was kind of one of the most important things um, because, you know, it was really tough for me when I was, when I was young. I was, um, you know, pretty, pretty hyper kid, always in lots of trouble, you know, getting kicked out of school. And, you know, that typically just escalates and it, and it definitely did that for me. And then it becomes, you know, juvie when you're a little bit older and then it becomes jail when you're, you know, technically a grown up. And, um, and that's kind of how it developed for me. But luckily that whole time, you know, I had a lot of insight that was sort of gifted to me in my upbringing of just, you know, I knew what the right answers were, you know, I, I knew what I should be doing and I knew that what I was doing wasn't great. So I started drinking when I was about 12 years old. Um, around that time I started taking prescription drugs as well. Um, it wasn't a huge part of my life, but you better believe if I was coming over to your house, I was just going to take a quick peek, you know, in the, uh, in the bathroom cabinet. cabinet. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> so that was kind of, that was kind of how that got started. Um, you know, they had put me on the, uh, the Adderall when I was a kid too. Right. So right. that's the, uh, amphetamine ADHD medication. And I remember, making that connection in my head, wow, this feels really good. I enjoy this. And I don't want anyone to know how much I'm enjoying this because I don't think I should be enjoying this so much. So, um, you know, that kind of got things kicked off. Um, started drinking pretty regularly. And uh, around that time is when I sort of started to check out of, you know, the things, sports and things like that that you do when you grow up around here. Um, I think by the time I was about... By the time I was about 15, um, I was doing um, drugs every day and drinking most weekends. So uh, marijuana was a big one for me, and I did that every day for about eight years or so. Um, and so that was kind of my whole high school experience was just, you know, constantly being under the influence while also having this desire to not be that way anymore. You know, underneath all of it was a person who desperately wanted to get out and I would you know see little glimpses in myself you know like I started going to AA when I was about 16 is when I started like trying to get this stuff you know a little bit more manageable and you know you'd see little flashes and I'd kind of you know maybe do good for a while but I kind of kept slipping back into it um, because of you know what, what a lot of people say in the recovery community is just never being comfortable in my own skin Right, And so it's just one of those things where, you know, no matter how good things were going or where I was physically located, I always, you know, in my head was pretty, a pretty miserable person and didn't really know how to be happy, nor did I know if I wanted to be happy, you know, when it really comes down to it. And, um, you know, the substances kind of helped me just put that all on pause. Like, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to deal with this later. I know I've got this this huge amount of emotional baggage and just sits in my stomach all day, but I'm going to tomorrow, next next month, you know. I'll, I'll clean myself up and, and get some help and address the root of all this, but just not right now. I'm too young. That yeah, this little little thing. The, 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 the booze and the drugs, uh, they make me feel okay enough, so I can probably just hang with this for a little while longer. I'll probably be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm young. Nothing happens to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Played played that record over and over in my head for sure. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Yeah, I know the one of the big things for me, you know, to that end was um, 
well, you can't tell me that I'm not going to drink on my 21st birthday. That was always my big thing. You know, it was like, this is all great, and I'm sure I should do this less. But, I mean, there's just no way. Let's be realistic. Like, everybody goes out on their 21st birthday. Um, is that even an option? I, it actually is an option, I discovered. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that was that was it for me um, growing up. And then, so basically, I mean, it was kind of the same tape over and over again. Um, I was a very uncomfortable, unhappy person and used substances to... Um, to cover that up. And then um, as I got a little bit older, you know, the, the drinking really took hold. You know, I kind of, I did everything. Um, I would do anything that you put on the table, but the drinking in particular is really what got it, what got its hooks into me and did the most damage and, um, you know, changed my personality the most without a doubt. So that really took off um, when I was about 20 and that that's when I became a daily drinker and so at that point I was you know attending the University of Idaho on paper I was certainly enrolled in classes and I was certainly collecting my little um, stipend money or whatever they call that but I don't know that I actually ever went right and so um, I kind of would be up here pretending to be a college student um, drinking all the time right like it was always the day drinking it was the waking up and drinking and, um, you know, that's cool up here for people at, at some level. Like, that that's a thing that you can kind of get away with in a college town. Um, it doesn't raise as many red flags when you're... Sure, it's a college experience, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody, everybody, you know, drinks, or first time away from home, or, you know, whatever, whatever the rationale is for it. <laughs> yeah, and they all do it once a month for a Vandal game or something, and uh, I happen to do it every day. But right. never with the same people, so nobody quite knows that, I, you know, that was always kind of my thing. So um, very much, you know, I was here, and I would kind of be involved with the college and um, some of the people that would go to the college, but I always was very aware that I was on a different trajectory than than my peers, right? Like, this seemed fun for them, and it had been so long since it felt fun for me, if it ever really even did. Um and so, you know, like I said, I mean, I just kept trying to kind of start over again and get sober. And uh, that that pattern continued for a long time. And then I actually got sober in 2017 when I was, let's see, I think I was about 22 or maybe I had just turned 23 years old. And at that point, um, you know, I just... I don't know. I don't know exactly what happened, and I don't try too hard to figure it out. But um, it just kind of the thought occurred to me, and um, I just ran with it. And I knew at that point that I was done. I didn't know why I had been gifted this relief or why that was the case for me, because you know all of these attempts over and over again, and it was like I was white knuckling it. And then one day it was just like, all right, that's it. And at the time I was in um, Central Washington, living over there, and um, I just, yeah, it was like three, three in the morning or something like that. And I was like, all right, this is what you're going to do. You're going to like, you're going to go take your anti-inflammatories, drink your Gatorade, do all the stuff that you normally do to get away with drinking, except like you're going to use that as a way to stop drinking, right? And you're going to wake up, you're going to pack your stuff, you're going to move home. You're going to, you know, like reconnect with your family, start working on things in that department, go back to school and, you know, just figure out how you can uh, contribute to society, 
because I was such a, I felt and acted most of the time like such a, a taker. I was always kind of taking and taking, and I felt very poorly about that all the time. And so at that point, I made that um, decision, and that that is, in fact, what I did. So, you know, that was five, five years ago, and um, since then, you know, I've completed about five years of schooling, and um, I'm just about finishing up with that sixth year now. So, um, you know, and this was uh, Moscow, Idaho was actually a tremendous place to to get sober because um, there was a little bit more diversity here in terms of, you know, the things that I would hear at meetings. I grew up going to a lot of different meetings mm-hmm. in the area, and I never felt quite represented the same way, which right. for me as a youngster was like a big, was a big deal, you know. Well, it's a, it's a huge deal uh, all all over the world. I mean, with young people coming into, you know, different 12-step programs, AA or NA, and uh, yeah, because you don't see a whole lot of them, you know. It's not, you know, my story wasn't all that different from yours, you know, I started drinking at a very young age and doing whatever else came down the pike, yeah. And, uh, you know, AA never occurred to me. Uh, the, my first meeting with it was my mother had been an active alcoholic for years and years and went into the hospital with uh, uh, gastritis and almost bled to death. And thank God they recognized, you know, it was from alcoholism, moved her up to the fourth floor where people were, you know, detoxing and uh, there was a real AA presence in that area. So, you know, that she got sober and stayed sober for the last 10 years of her life, you know, from 59 to 69. And when I came into the program, yeah, most of the people, I was, uh, I think about 40. Yeah, I was 40. And there were a fair amount of people my age, a lot of people older than me, not a lot of people younger than me, mm-hmm. you know. So, yeah, for someone who's, you know, a teenager, or early 20s coming into the program, that's that's pretty unusual. I have noticed, though, that, uh, you know, I guess I'm an old-timer now with a couple of decades under my belt, but when I see somebody young come in, you know, I, tr- I try and get as close to them as I can because I they've really only felt, well, what was it saying in the book? Felt the first nip of the ringer. Yeah. You know, and uh, they start feeling good after a couple of months, and I know it's going to happen. I could be right back out there. Okay, I'm okay now. I'm cured, or I know how to handle this now, you know, because we're all so smart in our <laughs> teen years, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, this old saying uh, uh, I learned is when I was. When I was 15, I thought my dad was the dumbest thing on the planet. You know, he didn't know anything. And then I turned 21, and I was amazed how much the old guy had learned in just six years. Because right? <laughs> yeah. I know better. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's tough. And I think, um, you know, I think especially when young people do um, end up sticking around, there is you know, a responsibility um, that comes with that to an extent, right? Because it's it's really hard to walk in for your first 
AA meeting or NA meeting or whatever the case may be. But I think, you know, especially when you, when you're so, when you're so young and you walk in and it's like, wait, did I come to the right meeting? Like, is this, is this where I'm supposed to, uh, is this the right place? Is this, you know, what's going on here? And, um, it's pretty intimidating, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's been the, I mean, that was one of the big things that helped me. I had a sponsor when I first started, um, who I think, you know, was maybe like a few years older than me mm-hmm. and, and had a couple of years under his belt. So, you know, nothing that he was doing in his life seemed out of reach for me. You know, like um, he had put together a decent amount of time and was living in a way that I admired, but he was still so fresh, you know, fresh in the program and stuff like that, that when I would see what he was up to, I I genuinely believe that I could also do that. And he wasn't that far ahead of me, you know, and um, that helped a lot having somebody, you know, who I've kind of felt represented by or sort of like they could understand what the, um, you know, my individual struggle was. Uh, I've come to learn that every single person basically I've met in, you know, AA and the different recovery programs knows exactly what, you know, struggle I went through. But at a young age, it was really important for me to feel as though somebody could kind of track as to, you know, where I was at in my life and what it was like to, to get sober at this age in this community. You know, how do you, how do you just live in a college town and just hang out with a bunch of old men all the time? What do you, yeah, how do you, right. <laughs> right, exactly. how, how do you do that? And, uh, and so, and how, yeah. How is that any good? Yeah. How's that going to help me? Yep, exactly. I was like, well, <laughs> yeah. And I think it just comes down to, you know, everyone's got their different um, their different bottoms, you know. And um, mine was finally like, okay, you know what? Maybe I maybe I don't exactly just want every single thing that that person has or whatever. But the one thing I do want is to feel like I don't want to die every day. And that person seems like they don't feel that way. They right. seem pretty happy even if they don't necessarily have this really specific life that I'm looking to live, whatever the case, all the different excuses I'd come up with, right? But at the end of the day, they just seemed like they weren't so miserable. And then I think once I got desperate enough, that was plenty just to feel like somebody else had been where I'm at now, and now right. they didn't feel so uncomfortable and scared and terrible all the time. So, Right, and, and looking at, you know... As a young person, you're looking at a long future ahead. You know, 40 years old, uh, with the amount I had drank and abused my body with different drugs over the years, um, you know, you might have been able to stagger along for another 30 or 40 years before any really bad, uh, you know, complications. Man, I had one foot on a one foot in the grave and one foot on a banana peel, you know. So I was I was in that position where, yeah, you know, there's not a long, not necessarily a long time here for me to, you know, get my act together and uh, you know get moving with a, a, a program that could restore me to sanity and hopefully make me a you know contributing member of society, like you said, rather than just a drain on it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to get to that, uh, to come to that conclusion early, I mean, young people, I, I talk about having a bag full of yets. I didn't, didn't lose all the cars, didn't lose the house. 
didn't lose the relationship miraculously, only because my wife's more stubborn than than I ever was. Uh, yeah, she was going to hang in there if it killed me. Um, but, uh, you know, for somebody young who's struggling with an addiction, I mean, there's all those yets out in front of them. You know, I have, haven't had a good relationship. I haven't, you know, I haven't had kids yet. I haven't, you know, maybe I haven't even wrecked my first car yet. I, there's all these things. And then it's like, even at 40, when I came in, uh, I was like, I'm never going to have fun again. You know, how am I going to live a life where I can't do the things that, you know, bring me joy anymore. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's, Basically, that's my disease talking to me, trying to get me to come back over to the dark side. Yeah. You know, because it doesn't, my disease does not like truth. (laughs) It does not like truth at all. And it will do whatever is necessary to push that truth back out of the way so uh, he can get me to get down and dirty again. And we can, uh, you know, get back out there running and gunning, as they say. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. you know, yeah, there's there's so much there's so much to that and um I know that a big focus of 12-step programs can be um you know, kind of I think they refer to it as what terminal uniqueness. Yes. Is that a, okay, so it's kind of this idea that when we come in, we it's it's hard for us to understand that, you know, how similar we are to everybody and we like to think that we have this extremely unique circumstance that maybe nobody ever could ever understand or, you know, like that's the, um, one of the things that can act as a real barrier. Right. And and that was big time for me was learning how to balance, you know, um, yes, like keeping a sense of individuality and like forming my own opinions and thoughts about recovery in my life and why I'm here and what I want to do, but then also not just being such a loner, you know, because right. that's what that stuff does is it keeps me, it keeps me lonely and disconnected from others. Right. When all I pay attention to is how different I am. So right. that, that was the big kind of when the dam broke, I would say, was when I had kind of just accepted that and, right. and started paying attention more to the, the similarities than the differences. Yeah. What did they tell me when I first came in? To take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth and just listen for a while. Yeah. You know, listen for the similarities, not the differences. And if you hear something you don't understand, set it aside. You can always come back to it later. You're going to hear it again. You know, that's this is funny. It's a common complaint I've heard from people, especially people who are new in the program. I don't want to go to that program because that guy tells the same story every time. And I go, really? Tell me. Tell it to me. <laughs> and they're like, well, he says, and I'm like, so you don't remember all of it. That's because there's some of it that you can't relate to and you don't read need right now, but someday you will. I went to a uh, meeting in Hamilton, Montana, and there was a fellow in there, and I'm not sure if he was born with a, a, a mental impairment or if it was a result of his addiction or whatever, but... When he came, when it was his turn to share, he would just say, I'm so-and-so, and and by the grace of God and the program Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm sober today. And that's all he ever said. Mm -hmm. That's all he ever said. And, uh, you know, yeah, you could easily get tired of hearing that over and over again, but 
the message is simple, succinct, and and important. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's important for me. Yeah, you know, just like it's important for me when I wake up in the morning to go. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic and I'm powerless over alcohol. So maybe I won't drink today. Mm-hmm. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe, maybe tomorrow. tomorrow. I like that one. I've yeah. heard that one too. Yeah, I always appreciated that. And you're right. So I also had a hard time. I think the you know the the one liners and stuff like that that I would hear all the time drove me absolutely crazy, especially because they came you know from my dad, of course. Uh-huh. And like, what does he know? <laughs> right. and like you know how we all feel about the stuff our parents say when we're teenagers or whatever. And so I kind of had, I had that experience a lot of just having to kind of <laughs> getting, getting kind of, you know, um, what is the, sort of, sort of jaded about the whole thing and just being like, wow, mm-hmm. this is extremely repetitive. Like I'm so much smarter than, than all of this. And, uh, you know, I've heard this all before. I understand what this is. And it's like, well, but do you actually? And that became the question. It's like, do I, can I use it? No. Right. Really? So do I understand it? Probably not. Just because I could, you know, kind of tell you what the definition of words are doesn't mean I know, you know, um, what people are trying to communicate to me, you know, with those words. And so um, I still have a lot of those one-liners that float through my head now. And mm-hmm. I'll kind of laugh whenever they pop up, you know, like yeah. since I remember, you know, in like the, f- the first grade, right, because I'm just like very hyper and kind of always in some some level of like trouble. I was like for the most part a pretty good kid, but mm-hmm. just real the talkative class clown type. Right. Not doing my work and, you know, worried about whatever and recess and like um I'd always talk to my dad on the phone and he'd be like, Well, you know, you just uh I said, son, you just keep doing the next right thing and, and you'll be amazed. And he's just do the next right thing, do the next right thing. And I've been, I've been hearing that my whole life. Yeah. And um yeah, yeah, I know, Dad. Yeah, 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 I yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I thought I understood that when I was like eight years old. You know, I was like, no, I have no idea what that even means. I just want you to quit talking about it. And uh, it's still something that I'm very much working on today. Is just you know being a little bit more present and okay, what things can I control? And you know, what is the next right thing? You know, down to literally five minutes from now. Like getting really kind of narrowed down time frame wise and. Um, so, but just, you know, to your point about the, you know, hearing the same stuff and feeling like it's getting repetitive or mm-hmm. that the the program or the people are redundant and stuff, that also was a big barrier for me, Yeah, I think, at first. Yeah, you hear the, you hear those things over, you know, the, the posters on the walls, you know, uh, one day at a time, think, 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 um, you know, all those, all those little axioms that we throw out there, um, I find in my life, uh, they they pop up. I'll, I'll be in a situation where uh, an interpersonal thing, where somebody is is telling me something about what's going on, and the first thing I want to do is, uh, uh, and I think it's a typically male thing to be totally chauvinistic here. You know, we want to fix things, right? Mm. And I have to stop and I have to go. Wait a minute. Maybe this person just wants to be heard. Maybe they don't, they don't want to fix. Maybe I just need to listen and say, oh, I feel you. Okay, I get that. Um, and, you know, a day at, one day at a time. Yeah, early on, uh, you know, 
the first couple of weeks of sobriety, man, it was one second at a time. Mm-hmm. It's what can I do to distract myself right now from this overwhelming urge to, uh, you know, go to the liquor store and, and get another bottle, you know, just so I can feel better. And uh, that's another thing you hear. You're going to feel better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And sometimes it'll actually tell you the whole sentence, which is you're going to feel better. You're going to feel pain better. You're going to feel happy better. You know, you're going to feel sad better. Yeah. Uh, so there's all those, those, those little things that come up that, that uh, we hear over and over again. And, you know, one day at a time, oh, sure, I, you know, I understand that when I first came in. It's just, yeah, don't drink one day at a time. But now it's a lot more than that to me. Mm-hmm. It's if I'm going to worry about the next time I drive my car in the snow because I got in a wreck. Well, I'm not driving today. So maybe I can just leave that behind for now. Mm-hmm. And uh, they talk a lot in the program about, you know, we'll waste time that we could otherwise be productive and helpful. So keeping things down to a one day at a time attitude i think is real helpful yeah you got plan for the future you know if you want to if you you want to go into a masters program in college you got to get your paperwork in 6 months earlier or whatever the hell it is <laughs> i i did 5 years in junior college <laughs> majored in girls and dope um, and uh, got it got a couple of degrees um, but it's like yeah, you know, you, you you have you have to do the full package, but there's certain things that you only have to take one day at a time, and you can be reasonably happy. You're talking about that where uh, you go in to when you you know pick this person to be your sponsor because you looked at him and you said, well, he seems to be reasonably happy, and he's living a lifestyle that I would like to live. And, uh, I, you know, I was very much the same way when I came in. And because uh, uh, I couldn't understand how these people could be, you know, they're drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes and, and talking and laughing and just seeming to be having a, a good day. And I hadn't had a good day in a long damn yeah. time. Yeah, a good day was not, yeah, not something that came up in casual conversation in my house ever. For years, so yeah, that's awesome. And now you're working, uh, helping other people. Is this uh, kind of a consequence of your? I know a lot of people that seem to want to go into uh, uh, doing social work or working with people in addiction after getting into sobriety. So did, was that a big influence for the direction you're moving in professionally now? Yeah, more or less. I mean, I I didn't quite know. So I I kind of touched on earlier, like when I got sober, I was determined. I was I'm, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to kind of figure out a way to to contribute, you know, um, in a way that makes sense and that fits me. And at first, my best attempt at that was to be in an um, education program. So I was in a elementary education program, and um, I enjoyed that very much until I started kind of meeting the the school um, social workers and school counselors and stuff. And I realized, I was like, that's a much better way to accomplish what I'm trying to do. I just didn't know that until right. I saw it. 
So at that point, you know, I switched over and another big um, influence in that was, you know, I was in the recovery community and was, um, you know, really active at the time. And I would sponsor people and things like that. And one of the things that just felt really natural was this ability to care a lot about the person and to genuinely show up for them and have their best interest at heart, but be able to set a firm boundary at the same time. And it's not going to ruin, it's not going to ruin my day. You know, like that's, this is their thing. And that seemed to just fit me really well. And that Mm -hmm. ability to kind of compartmentalize things in a, in a healthy sense. And, um, you know, to not be jaded and, oh, I don't care, but also not be so invested and upset if somebody, you know, goes Relapses, back out. Yeah. Or, yeah, that kind of stuff. And it just felt like this is kind of what I should be doing. I don't know how to do it, but this is kind of what I should be doing. And that's when I really leaned more into the the social work, the social work side of things. Um, so uh, long term... Long term, the goal would be to go into private practice as a mental health therapist, because one thing that I know very well is I'm not going to be able to do recovery forever. It's not something I'm interested in doing for um, 40 years. And by that, I should clarify, I mean, working in recovery as a as a job, as a profession, that, yeah. that's not something that I think I can do 40 years of in my life, um, because I also have my own recovery that I want to focus on. And that's something that's really personal to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do anticipate working, you know, in the recovery community, probably for maybe another, I don't know, eight or nine years or something Mm -hmm. like that, maybe a total of about 10 years. And then my hope would be to kind of pivot into the more mental health specific side of things and um, deal with some things that maybe are a little bit further away from home, so to speak, and kind of be able to, to do that as I get closer to, you know, um, retirement and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's essentially, that's essentially the whole plan. But I can honestly say, you know, even though I can forecast that out that I don't want to do this forever right now, there's just nothing I would rather do than the work that right. I'm doing down in California. It's, mm-hmm. it is such a gift to be able to do that mm-hmm. and work with the, the people that I work with and, um, you know, just watch them confront difficult truths about themselves and the world around them and, you know, the amount of bravery it takes to to really address things and in yourself. I mean, most of the people in the recovery community can, can relate to a certain extent. You know, it's it's not easy to take an honest, hard inventory of ourselves. And oh, our it is not comfortable at all. Um, you know, in, in the AA program, we do a thing called a fourth step, which is, they say, a, a fearless and thorough moral inventory of ourselves, where we list out our resentments and where we feel we've been wronged and, you know, what the the root of that is, you know, is it fear? Um, is it, uh, it, it can be, you know, causation of many things. And then, uh, once we once we find those shortcomings, you know, we we confess it to uh, our higher power and to another human being. Um, that stuff levels the playing field. Uh, it lets you know that uh, you know this is this is what I was like, 
uh, I don't want to be like this anymore, and I'm you know going to ask that higher power to remove these shortcomings so I don't repeat them. Which is kind of funny because I you know frequently do repeat them, but at least now I can see them coming, mm-hmm. you know, and move on from it. And I totally get where you're coming from when you talk about you know do I do I want to be doing this in 40 years? I don't think so. But I'm glad you're being honest with yourself when you say that. But I really do love it now, big time. And I really am. I'm sure you are learning a lot so from much. it. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind that the traumas and uh, the uh, shortcomings that uh, people have that you're dealing with now, it's going to be everywhere in your career. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's a major component of it, like what you're doing now, uh, or if it isn't, you know, causational of uh, a, a client you're working with who's 40 years old and uh, has been basically white knuckling uh railing against an addiction or a trauma for 20 years and uh you know going slowly insane Mm -hmm. uh you know through that yeah i don't think i've ever met a uh someone in recovery who does not have a a serious uh behavioral or mental health issue somewhere in the background yeah hundred percent oh yeah oh yeah but you know dealing with it from the angle we are which is uh, or i am anyway where you know i was uh, basically committing slow suicide mm-hmm. you know because things just weren't working i knew it was never gonna be good again you know every time i drank i overshot that feeling good <laughs> by about a thousand yards yep. you know and, uh, but, you know, today I'm able to be reasonably happy and, uh, I don't have to do anything but wake up in the morning, ask my higher power to keep me safe and, you know, go interview somebody. That's right. Yeah. You know, this is, this is part of my recovery. Mm-hmm. You know, I get to hear your story and. You know, our listeners get to hear your story and maybe reflect on a little bit on it and see if part of their story might be in it. Yeah. Yeah, 100 Yeah. You know, I, <clears throat> I really like what you said, too, about um, you really emphasize reasonably happy most of the time, I think is how you said that. Yeah. And um, that's, that's so important, I think, because when you first get sober, you're entertaining the idea of being sober, whatever wherever you're at in that, you know, sometimes I think we can feel as though happiness is the goal when, when the real goal is the, you know, the fulfillment and contentment and the, you know, comfort within ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, um, we really like, shouldn't be happy all the time, you know? And, uh, I think that's, that's one thing that I talk with a lot of my clients about and that we have lots of discussions about in the groups or individual sessions is, um, you know, being being unhappy at times is a very reasonable response. And it might be weirder if you were happy, given whatever circumstances you're going through at sure. the time. Um, but then that ability to not to not let that fluctuation of feeling lead into, you know, like drinking or using again or whatever mm-hmm. your 
kind of vice would be, I suppose. Right. Um, it's been so important for me to just just own it, you know, because life, life is tough. And, you know, I mean, it just didn't really, I don't know. I mean, getting, getting sober, it just, the same amount of stuff still happened. People, sure. you know, people still, uh, people still die. You still go through breakups or divorce or whatever your, mm-hmm. whatever your thing is. And, um, with, with all of these tools though, you can, you can survive those things. And uh, maybe maybe even, you know, like thrive on the other side of them and, you know, by using the tools and using the people around you, you know, right. for support. Um, that's been the that's been the big one, I think, for me. Sure. Well, it's all that, you know, for me, it's seeking that serenity, uh, which is turns out what is really what I want. And, uh, you know, emotions and, and feelings are you know, they're like a, a pendulum you know, swinging back and forth from, you know, severe depression to, you know, just ecstatic happiness. And serenity is that point right at the bottom of the pendulum swing. But unfortunately, that's also when the pendulum's moving its fastest. Mm -hmm. So by working on it day after day, year after year, I've been able to slow the pendulum down so that I'm not you know, wanting to kill myself at one end of it and just, you know, thinking it's rainbows and unicorns, <laughs> you know, at the other end. I'm getting down there close to the center where, yeah, it's a bad day, but you know what? It's just a day and over to, wow, this was a lot of fun today. Maybe sometime we'll, we'll do it again. Yeah. You know, and not having to go, what? like when I drank the first time, I want to feel like this all the time. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. (laughs) You know what? We are up against the clock here. We're out of time. So Remington, I want to thank you for sharing some of your vacation time with us today. That's really awesome. And uh, hopefully down the road, you know, we'll catch up again. You're in and out of town. I'm sure I'll bump into you somewhere around here. It's a small town. It is very small. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for your time, too. I appreciate it. And thank you for all the the work you're doing in the community. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I'll close it off with uh, my usual. You know, if you think you have a problem with behavioral health or addiction, you do. Mm -hmm.